Hi, everybody. It's Elizabeth Archer, your Farm and Garden Show host, but it's the fifth Thursday of the month, so if you are not new here, you know that on the fifth Thursday, we do things a little different, and I talk about um, an, a different topic. So today's Farm and Garden Show has nothing to do with farming or gardening, and I hope you stick with us because it's going to be a really interesting show. Again, I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. I am white, cishet, mid-fat, and I identify as a woman, and that's all relevant always, and it's especially relevant today. Today, we're going to talk about anti-fat bias in the context of a movie coming out in December called The Whale. It stars Brendan Fraser. It was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Um, we will get into that. Uh, I wrote a post on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and it went sort of viral, which has never happened to me before. It was a very interesting experience. It was shared almost 2,000 times. I don't know how many people read it, but you can extrapolate from that more than 2,000. It had hundreds of comments. Um, I left the comments open, and then I closed them. As you can imagine, the internet is a wild place place and not everything was kind, but there was a lot of good stuff in there. Um, the post was about the harm that I and many others believe this movie will cause and maybe already is causing for the fat community. So we're going to talk about um, various parts of that post. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can find it. It's on Facebook. Look for me. Elizabeth Archer. It should pop up. Um, if you're in Mendocino County, I'm sure we have a mutual friend. This county is not that big. Uh, you will also find the hundreds of comments under it, so reader beware. Um, and today we're going to talk about someone who shared my post and commented on it on their page, and I reached out to them and asked if they would be my guest, and they said yes. So, welcome, Brian Guffey. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. I'm going to tell people about you and then we're going to get into it. Okay. Uh, Brian is an internationally recognized educator and activist in the areas of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, and body size. They are the co-host of the podcasts Unsolicited, Fatties Talk Back, and Technically Queer, and they serve as the CEO of Delta Lambda Phi, the continent's oldest and largest fraternity for queer individuals. They also serve on the board of the Sex, Identity, and Relationship Advice app, OKSO. Brian, you are kind of a big deal. Well, I mean, I don't always feel like I'm a big deal, but I appreciate that. Um, I'm really excited to be here today and to have this conversation with you. I'm just, again, so grateful that you're here. Um, so we're not going to talk about farming and gardening, but my very first question is, do you farm or garden? Are you into, do you have like some tomatoes on your back porch? So um, I do not, I neither farm nor garden, but uh, partially that's because I live in the desert where doing either of those is a little bit difficult. That being said, I am only one generation removed from a farmer. My dad grew up on a farm in Kansas. Okay. And, you know, you know a working farm in Kansas. And uh, my dad loves to garden. So, you know, we have been talking about getting some raised beds possibly out here and doing some gardening. So it may happen. Well, we don't have to talk about farming and gardening today because it's a fifth <laughs> Thursday edition. <laughs> um, I had never heard of Delta Lambda Phi. Did I pronounce that right? I didn't. I wasn't in the Greek system. You did great. Perfect. Cool, cool. cool. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that organization does? Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, Delta Lambda Phi is a, it's a traditional social fraternity, but it's for uh, queer-identified individuals, 
Uh, generally, uh, anybody who is not who doesn't identify as a cishet woman, mainly because sororities exist. Yes. Um, and it's really and we're it's an organization that we started in 1987. Um, and we have about 5,000 alumni. We currently have about 10 chapters across the country. We've been as large as 30 in the past. Uh, the pandemic took a bit of a toll, as you can imagine. As it but, did, yes. Yeah. But DLP is really aims to give a values-based Greek experience for queer people who may not feel like they fit in in other fraternities um and this is a place where they can really be their full selves and you know we're really focused on uh justice through a queer lens cool i love that as a cishet woman i am offended not a bit about being excluded <laughs> because we get to go anywhere else we want to <laughs> pretty much pretty much so on your Facebook page, you describe yourself as radical fat liberationist, very ADHD, incessantly queer and trans. Um, I really appreciate your descriptor. I'm also someone who's just like, this is who I am. Um, can you tell us just a little bit more about who you are, your background, anything the readers might or listeners might find interesting for today's conversation? Sure. Um, I think relevant things are that I am originally from Lawrence, Kansas, um, and uh, I'm biracial. My mom grew up in the inner city of Kansas City. My dad grew up on a farm. They met at a small liberal arts college. Uh, we moved to Ohio when I was nine, and I spent most of my life in the Cleveland area. Um, my background's in musical theater. Uh, I have a BFA in musical theater, uh, but I work in IT today because it pays better. It does pay better, yes. And it's more stable. Um, I've had I've known that I've had ADHD since I was six years old. Um, recently, determined that I have autism as well. They often go hand in hand. Truly, um, and for a long time, I struggled with being fat even probably up until the last like three or four years and not to say i don't still struggle because we all do um and i actually sort of connected with several of the co-hosts of my podcast and i just sort of you know realized that for most of my life it was not about like i was not upset with my body other people were and i was internalizing what they were telling me yes that is the yeah. heart of anti-fat bias isn't it Exactly. And it, you know, being queer, and we'll get into this later, but queerness and fatness takes on another dimension, as well as being black. You know, that's one thing that we haven't mentioned here. Obviously, I said that I was biracial. My, like I said, my mom is black and my dad is white. And so I'm a person who moves through the world, who is seen and viewed through the lens of being a black person. And that is also really relevant to how we think about how anti that bias is constructed mm -hmm, absolutely you mentioned your podcast and uh, you have two podcasts and one of them i just listened to your latest episode it's fatties talk back and it was broadcast live from the 2022 fat studies conference that sounded cool and here's something you said that i actually rewound and listened to three or four times um you were talking about i mean people should listen to it but you say being a descendant of slaves being a black person in america you were thinking about the legacy of joy and hope in the face of impossibility and that yeah. just i really that touched me yeah it's important to me that even as we look at 
systemic issues that oppress many of us, that keep us from reaching our full potential or being seen as full humans, we remember that we do things because they are the right thing to do and we can find joy in that opportunity to express our truest selves and beliefs. Mm. And one of your co-hosts talked also in that same segment about how at a certain point you just need radical acceptance of who you are because the alternative is to just be sad all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I've been sad all the time and it's not fun. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yay, here's to, to radical acceptance. Um, before we dive into what you actually wrote about my post, um, like I said, I've never gone viral before, and I don't know if this technically counts as viral, but it felt like a big deal to me. I have like 300 followers, um, and I really dedicated several days of my life to this, and uh on the shares, if someone's page is public, you can see what they've shared, what they've written about yep. it, and who comments under it. And I went to every single one of those and read every single conversation, and that's how I found you. Wow. Um, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I would recommend that normally. <laughs> you know, it was actually it was a really interesting experience. A couple years ago, it would have destroyed me, but I am in a really good place after doing a lot of work. And yeah. all of the negative comments... Um, they're about those people. They're right. not about me. And Absolutely. I definitely, I engaged with a lot of people that seemed maybe more ignorant than hateful. Um, I was very, you know, kind of glib and fun. A lot of people were like, you should have, you know, therapy, fatty. And I was like, I have a great therapist. Thank you so much. Absolutely. <laughs> that reminds me of Nicole Byer. Uh, I love Nicole comedian. Byer. Yes. Yeah. Nicole Byer, when anybody says anything bad about Nicole on Twitter, she like quote tweets him and says, "Thank you so much. I really appreciate." You. Thanks for the publicity. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, my first question is: Were you surprised to hear from me because you had written some very thoughtful? I'm not going to say critical things, but you had thoughts, and I reached out to you and I said, "Thank you for for this commentary." And I'm sorry if this is unwelcome, but I have this radio show. Do you want to come talk to me? Was that weird? I, no, I mean, <laughs> not really. And I think that's partially because I have lived a relatively public life on social media. Thank goodness that I was about to graduate college when Facebook happened. Yes. I cannot imagine being a teenager yeah. on social media. I'm 40. I don't know how old you are, but I'm... I'm 40. Oh, samesies. Um, I'm a May baby. I'm January. Excellent. Uh, I was very grateful to also not have been a social media high schooler. Yeah, and so I've had enough experience with folks inside the, the communities that I that I roll in, reaching out to me about things. Now, the fact that we'd never connected before, uh, or that and we weren't friends on Facebook, so that was a little surprising. But it wasn't unwelcome. I've always been somebody who's really interested in having these conversations, and it's a, and on top of that because you're also a fat person it is like there's a there's a part of that door that's always open to have these conversations mm -hmm. that doesn't exist necessarily as much for thin people for me thank you for saying that it was interesting some people to some people you know i was like fat and unhealthy and i should you know like blah 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 and other people were like she's not fat and so it's yeah. and i i mean i am a, a mid fat so there's for people listening there's it goes small mid large super infinifat um so i definitely occupy like a privileged space in the fat community and 
that is the first part of your comment. So can we jump into that or are you about to say something? No, I think that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense to hop in there. Good, good segue. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to break your comment into three parts because there are uh, several really valid topics and they cover a lot of ground. So the first part, you say, quote, we should note that this is being shared in the way that it is because Elizabeth is a small to mid-fat woman who is white and likely cishet who is also well-dressed in her photo, unquote. All of that is totally true. Um, in Not in my defense, but when I wrote that post, I didn't think thousands of strangers were going to see it. I just chose a recent picture. There aren't that many pictures of me alone. Uh, and I wanted there to be food in it and I wanted to look happy. And so I'm sitting, you can't really, I mean, I'm sitting now, but you can't really like see my body. But yeah, I was, it was definitely like a, a white, so that privileged, small fat lady. Um, and then when I reached out to you, I mentioned that I had updated my post to reflect all that information. And just that, you know, having my post shared so many times was really shocking. And I didn't intend to take up space. So I'd love to talk about the prominence of small to mid fats, especially white cishet folks, often women, um, centering ourselves and getting most of the attention in the fat liberation movement. Yeah, um, I think that it's one of the things you point out that you didn't intend to take up space one of the things that i think is important when we engage in that is that like many times we don't intend to take up space and yet right. we do and the intention you know we say this all the time intention you know impact is more important than intention and also um the prominent you know to speak of the prominence of small to mid-fat white cishet women, especially actually, um, in the fat, you know, in, in the body positivity or fat acceptance movements, and even some in fat liberation as it begins to get co-opted, um, some of that is not your choice. It's not. It's not even really your um, decision, as much it is as it is society saying uh, there is a range of acceptabilities. And if we are going to listen to people, um, we are going to listen to the people who we think are closest to um, what we want them to be. So, you know, I doubt that this post would have been shared if it was at like a 600 pound person that had posted it with their picture. Totally. Or if it had, the tenor of the sharing would have been very, very different. Yep. And the, the conversation happening under my post, which there was a lot of vitriol, but there was also yeah. a lot of really great stuff. Yeah, I mean, we listen, what we know is that as a, as a group, as an identity group, uh, white women are basically like the second, when I say the second most privileged, what I mean is they have access to privilege that many other people do not. I think one of the things that was really important when I talked about that you were well-dressed mm -hmm. and because people, because of the way people think about fat people, a well-dressed fat person is more accessible to them. They're like, oh, they're trying to be the way we want them to be. Mm. They're wearing clothes that flatter their body. So it's not showing off their fatness too much. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a, it is a thing that happens all of the time. They take the, um, society takes the least marginalized people inside of a marginalized group and puts them to prominence so that they can still go ahead and exclude everybody else. Absolutely. And say, hey, we're listening to these people, but as we know, 
you want to you really want to lift up and focus on the most marginalized because if you're solving for the people who have the most problems who have the access to the least social capital um you solve it for everybody else that is so succinctly perfectly said um and that doesn't just exist in uh the 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 fat liberation movement that's all of the marginalized identities um you know we talk about intersectionality and um that's you know true for fat liberation and for you know black and brown and indigenous people and queer people um rising raising the tide lifts all boats a rising tide lifts all boats is the saying yeah and so if you're getting the boats that are like really neglected (laughs) you're gonna be getting all the other boats too yeah it's true i mean i have to acknowledge that as a light-skinned uh fat you know black person who's fat but who is also like probably i would be considered like a large fat uh maybe a super fat it's we can we can even have long conversation about the utility of the fatness spectrum sure <laughs> and yeah. how in some ways it's often used mostly for people to center themselves and exclude others instead of the other way around but um you know i work from home i have a very well paying job i'm college educated you know i grew up you know upper middle class like all of these things as we talk about intersectionality put me in a very different place than a very dark-skinned black person who's fat um who's also queer as i am and you know some of those experiences and it's important to know that you can't divide fatness and blackness they're intrinsically linked and it's why uh i think it's always important even when there's no fat black people in something to acknowledge that the anti-fatness is still coming from an anti-black space I actually talked about that exact thing on a show a couple months ago, which was one of my first Fifth Thursday shows about anti-fat bias and how um, it's really rooted in white supremacy and just a little for folks who weren't listening and are curious. um, And you can Google this if you want to dive deeper, verify what I'm saying. But basically, once there were mixed race people it became harder to tell someone's race just by looking at them. And so that it came, it started in the church. They were encouraging white women to diet. And so thinness became a proxy for whiteness. And there, you know, you can trace it all back to racism pretty much. It's true. And I think, I mean, and we can go a little bit further back even. I I don't know uh, if you've read Sabrina Strings, Fearing the Black Body. No, but I'm writing Um, it down. Sabrina Strings, yeah, Fearing the Black Body is really the original seminal work of understanding um, the way that anti-fatness and anti-blackness sort of come together. Um, And we we can go back to the beginnings of the transatlantic slave trade. The experience of bringing black people in to spaces where there hadn't been black people before and artists uh, finding visual beauty in the form of black people and that happening and the ruling classes understanding well we don't want these people to be a part they, they need to be different because we're literally using them as you know as property and so it begins to to get in there and you're right the church picks it up and goes ahead and continues to um apply that but it's yeah it's important to understand that anti-fatness is a function as you pointed out of white supremacy of controlling black people 
and making them the less and the other as the whole pri- product of white, like the whole practice of white supremacy is. Um, and the follow-up book to that that I would recommend to folks is my colleague Deshaun Harrison's book, um, Belly of the Beast. Oh, I've the heard politics, of that one. Yeah, the politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness, where Deshaun delves in a little bit deeper to talk about exactly how, from a political perspective, anti-fatness really affects black people. And it is a book that's important for folks to understand. It is written for black, for fat black people. So white people who read it can learn but need to recognize that they cannot simply lift things out of it and apply it to themselves wholesale. It's not for us. Exactly. That's very hard for white people. We like things to be for us, Brian. I, as a person who was originally socialized as a man, I completely understand. (laughs) Completely. What do you mean I can't have that? Yeah. Well, and what's the saying? When you're used to 100%, 99 feels like oppression. Agreed. Yep. Um, and there were definitely, you know, small white women in the comments saying, how dare you say white women, you know, taking up space. I never took up any space in my life. And it's like, well, that could be true, but that doesn't have to do with your body size or your skin color. Absolutely. You're not I taking mean- up space for other reasons, but it's not because you were denied access because of your body size or your race. Exactly. And you, and people don't, as you said, people don't understand when they're taking up space because it's been the experience that they've always had. If you're always able to walk around taking up as much space as you want, it doesn't feel like anything different. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, sit down. Well, and even just in my post updates and in some comments, I was like, listen, I am accidentally, but again, impact is more important than intention. I'm accidentally taking up quite a bit of space here. And here's why that's a problem. And people just having, you know, their feelings about that. Very (laughs) interesting. Your feelings about you acknowledging that you were accidentally taking up space, which had nothing to do with them, right? Right. See See the power of white supremacy encouraging people to push back on something that wasn't even about them in order to make sure that they're not affected mm-hmm. you know it's it's really powerful and insidious that we, and we don't even notice it many times well it, because it's the water we all swim in you know exactly. and yeah. it's just they're so i don't i mean the word fragile is really overused when it comes to white people but there is this insecurity and a lack of curiosity um that i feel like leads to that very defensive reaction like i feel like I have to guard my space and if I give you some of my space it's not a zero-sum game like there's space for everybody um right now you know I have that space you and I have the space right now you being my guest does not reduce my impact through this show or my ability to reach this audience absolutely so yeah people Uh, Before we move on to the second part of your comment, let's reintroduce us. This is a special fifth Thursday edition of the Farm and Garden Show, in which we talk about neither farming nor gardening. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer. My very special guest today is Brian Guffey, an internationally recognized educator and activist in the areas of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, and body size. Welcome. I'm going to open up the phones in a little bit, but first I want to get through this next part. The next part of your comment says, quote, 
Elizabeth conveniently leaves out any clarity related to the fact that the character Fraser plays is openly gay, which leads to his estrangement with his daughter, and that Fraser is both fat and wore a fat suit, all things which are highly relevant, end quote. Um, that is all true, too. And I updated my post to reflect that, you know, Fraser's character is gay. I hadn't left it out, again, intent. I hadn't left it out maliciously. Um, I'm just... As a straight woman, I didn't feel like I could speak to that part of the experience, and I was trying to make a lot of points in a short space. But you're absolutely right. I did completely erase that, um, just thinking it wasn't super relevant, but I was probably wrong. So let's let's talk about that. Um, how are the experiences of queer fat folks different from straight fat folks? And as we know, it gets even more complicated when you add race. Right. Um, man, how do I... Imagine that every marginalized identity that you are sorted into, and I say that because there's been a lot of conversation I've had recently with friends about how all of this is rarely about how we see ourselves, but how other, about how others see us. Totally. Um, imagine that every single one comes with a smaller set of op- options for you to inhabit because you are by necessity able to access less of everything because you are further away from the center of cishet white able-bodied maleness and thin able-bodied maleness and so queer fat so a thing about the queer community is that uh it has traditionally been very 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 um like visually oriented in terms of attractiveness um and i think some of that is likely related to the way that sexuality has been reflected in for um, queer people who are not necessarily given access, or at least it seems to be, to uh, reproduct re- reproduction, mm-hmm. and therefore value accrues in different ways. And with value accruing in different ways, um, body body size becomes more important in signaling quality of partner. And so in that experience of signaling quality of partner, um, body size becomes more important and therefore fat queer people are pushed out even more quickly. So we had a conversation um, on, my sh- on our show, uh, Unsolicited Fatties Talk Back. We'll have an episode about this coming out a week from Monday. About the whale. Uh, about the right? whale, Right, like your exactly. next episode is about the whale. <laughs> yes. So folks listening who want to know more about the whale... The podcast is Fatty's Talk Back, and you can find it anywhere you listen to your podcast, and I am subscribed eagerly. <laughs> and one of the things we talked about is that there's a difference between like regular fat and gay fat mm. in terms of when people decide that you are fat and and when you have like when that pushes you into a different space about what you have access to from a desirability perspective. So much of this is about desirability. When you add race onto it as well, as we talked about, the project of white supremacy as it relates to anti-fatness is to decrease the value and desirability of black people to the point that you see them only as uh, things to be used 
and not people to be valued. Mm. And so um, a fat black person is almost never seen as desirable except in the context where it can be extracted from them mm. as a taboo. Like a, like a fetish. Exactly. Fetishization. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You can be used behind closed doors, but you would never be recognized and appreciated as a full person. Mm. Sad. It is. It is sad. It well, is. Um, and it's not only sad, but it is um, one of the things that is important to know about that is it doesn't just affect like queer fat black people or queer fat people, the residue of that anti-blackness and anti-fatness hits fat white people, you know? And it's important to understand that everybody is affected and that nobody gets left out. I mean, here's something else. It hits thin white people. It does. No one is exempt from anti-fat bias because if you're thin, you gotta stay thin. You gotta keep manipulating your body and if you gain three pounds, it might show a little more on your tiny frame than if I gain three pounds. Um, so there's a lot more like compulsivity attached to it, I think. I mean, you can be compulsive at any size, certainly. But absolutely. thin yeah. folks, you are not escaping unscathed. It's not no, good for any of us. Agreed. Yeah. So, so Brendan Fraser is white, um, but he is fat, and that has been a source of a lot of the sort of like drama and gossip in Hollywood because Brendan Fraser for years was this like really hot, chiseled, leading man. I don't know his sexuality in real life, but in Hollywood, he's typically been like, you know, the heartthrob, heterosexual man character leading romance lead. And now he gained some weight, which is super normal and was just banned from Hollywood, basically. Um, And now he's making his quote unquote comeback in a fat suit. So there's a lot there. <laughs> there is. Um, I think it's important uh, to recognize that even I, to some degree, bought into a bit of the anti-fat bias in my discussion of the fact that Brendan Fraser himself is fat. If you take a look at Brendan Fraser, uh, Brendan Fraser is like Patton Oswalt fat. Well, and I think he's also lost weight i mean i think he has worked to manipulate his body right and so yeah but, but no you're it, right he's not yeah. the size of his character and what is important here though is that brendan fraser was thin and muscular and now is not and therefore um there there is this and i did like it's for me it's that it's even worse that he's wearing a fat suit mm. It's not that, oh, he gets to wear a fat suit because he's a fat person. Right. It's like betrayal it's, almost. No, it's betrayal, but it's also like internal in, incongruence and um, a, like, a shucking of the responsibility to people or to a community who people probably identified you with at some point, but clearly you do not identify with yourself. And part of that is that Brendan Fraser can get away with that because he is a rich, white, male Hollywood actor. 
they're allowed to do this with their bodies. Right. And I mean, when you think about it and they're, you know, I feel like actors are opening up more about the disordered eating that they engage in to lose all that weight and the, you know, six hours in a gym and how miserable it is to keep their bodies that size and how artificial that is and how detrimental that is when they go back to leading, you know, a quote unquote semi normal life with their private chefs and two hours in the gym a day. Um, so, yeah, it's no wonder that he gained some weight, as bodies do, after years of probably disordered eating. And Well, or just be- or honestly, just because he got older. Yeah, our bodies you know, change. Yeah, bodies change. <laughs> and the bigger part is that it doesn't matter why. Mm. Um, what matters is that Brendan Fraser chose to portray somebody who isn't him. Mm-hmm. And that what's always really wild is like people will be like, well, you couldn't find a 600 pound actor. I mean, sure well, you could. Right, Did you and look? Also, <laughs> right. And also, that's because you're not giving them opportunities. Or they'll also say a 600 pound actor could never do the things that you need to do mm. in this movie or in this play movie. Because it was originally it was based a play, on a play right. written by a thin gay white man who had been. F- a small fat briefly or some right exactly and what's and so but it's always fascinating when they say well a 600 pound person couldn't do these things why are you making a movie about a 600 pound person who That's could theoretically do this thing yes yeah, also very, is yeah. fraser gay no not as far as i know okay so uh, that's another identity is, he's he's putting on right what i know is that brendan fraser it's i think it's important to note I, is it important to know he was blacklisted from Hollywood for speaking out about sexual sexual assault? Right, from a kind of high up producer or studio executive. Exactly, um, and I. It's interesting. I I expect that I don't remember how, what he looked like when he spoke out about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he had if he was already not the Brendan Fraser that everybody remembers from I think in Steno Man. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't believe that fat people can be abused or assaulted because our bodies don't have value. Right. And so for, for somebody to speak out like that, if they are not attractive, people like, why would anybody do that to you? You should be thankful for that attention that you got all of these terrible things. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's, I, the thing that's important to me is that it is worse that Brendan Fraser wore a fat suit it is important that the character he played was openly gay because it speaks to how they're attempting to pathologize a particular type <laughs> of uh, fat person and who they're, again, who they're still leaving out, mm-hmm. you know, which is all of the fat black people who are dealing with this worse than a fat white person of equivalent size. And as you talk about his immense wealth and, you know, privilege and status. And a lot of people were upset because they perceive that Brendan Fraser is a nice person, um, which I also perceive Brendan Fraser as a nice person. I love some of his old movies. I think he's a great actor. I don't, people were like, how dare you cancel Brendan Fraser? And I was like, I, that, you have missed the point, sir. Well, I don't, you don't, you don't have the ability no as a fat white woman to cancel brendan fraser with 300 facebook followers 
<laughs> right. Right. You just don't have the ability uh, to do that. And whether or not Brendan Fraser is a nice person, he did something that will hurt yeah. millions of people. Yeah. You know, he chose to put money and profit and access and esteem for himself over the lives of those people who he probably doesn't even think about. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, white people are very used to centering ourselves. And well, so. Yeah. And rich people don't care about people who aren't rich. Sure. And fat people like Brendan Fraser does not think of himself, I'm sure, as a fat person. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, it's not important to him that he hurt those people because he will never, he will never know a six hundred pound fat person mm-hmm. in his life. It's he will he will he will never have to know those people. And to me, it's almost worse how I talk about in the post how they were trying to be really thoughtful and empathetic to the fat experience. And I was like, that's worse. That is a major source of the harm you're causing because you're giving permission to people to then have this faux concern about fat people. Um, the poll quote that people like took from my post the most often was thin does not equal healthy. No one owes you health and other people's bodies are none of our business. That was what really resonated with people. And this movie makes our bodies other people's business. Absolutely. In, and listen, I, <laughs> I don't know why this movie was made except for wanting to remind people of the dangers quote unquote of being fat Mm. that basically if you're fat you will die right you will you will eat yourself to death (laughs) your family will leave you (laughs) like no one will love you no one will love you um i and to to frame that as concern that's the worst part you don't care (laughs) It's eug- I mean, honestly, it's eugenics. Yeah. It's the attempt to eliminate. One of the things that always boggles me is this idea that fat people have not always existed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that we have not always been around like people. Like, we just like, showed oh, there up. Were, there were no fat people in caveman times. Yes, there were. You know, and that, um, that the idea is, well, we should, the obesity epidemic. Oh, no, what you mean is there are fat people. Yeah. Well, and, and how all of a sudden there were so many more fat people in the 90s because they redefined obesity and overnight, like millions of people were obese and then it was an obese. I mean, not, I don't use that word, yeah, but classified. Right, but they, they redefined it over the objections of the committee they set to study it. Right. <laughs> Talk about size. I mean, and it's wild <laughs> because one of the things that happens in this space, and you get into it a little bit when you say, nobody owes you health. Right. That is almost impossible for many people to understand because healthism is a religion. Absolutely. In our country. And again, (laughs) healthism is honestly nothing but like, like, honestly, like the, the Nazis got their ideas from us. 
Interesting. Oh, they hot really take, did. Brian. No, they really did. Like, the idea of the master race mm-hmm. and th- that idea came from work that was, or, like, people that were in the United States that Hitler learned about. Doing uh, eugenics, like the cranial <laughs> studies. and Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, all of that stuff comes from the history here. And so when you tell people no one owes you health, people are like, well, what do you mean? These people are making my insurance go up. Oh, the lie about your insurance premiums going up. That is a lie. Do you know how profitable insurance <laughs> companies are on the backs of fat people? <laughs> because you're just Absolutely. blaming us for all of these health cost increases and making yeah. record profits. It's bull. It is. And <laughs> I think the, th- the thing to note in all of that is that... It is hard for people to understand that what is happening is, I like I can't even say that there's like some magic cabal of like five old dudes doing this. <laughs> it's more that the all of the people in power wish to stay in power, and there is this self-reinforcing system web experience that if you try to go out of it, grabs you, pulls you back in mm. over and over and over and over and over again. It's why fat liberation, um, fat abolition, why all of these um, experiences or black, li- like it, it, it's why you can't be an ally. It's why allyship is an action because it's never ending. Mm-hmm. Decolonizing and deconstructing all of this is a forever practice right. because the system wishes to push us back together. And so many of us are reinforcing that system every day in different ways and we don't even know it well because we're pitted against each other you know for the people who have power to stay in power they have to convince us that our problems are coming from other marginalized groups or just from marginalized groups but if you keep us all down then we'll fight among ourselves and never come for the fat cats at the top so it's very clever i mean it's very clever what what they've done well and what's interesting is i don't even believe that it was like some Again, like nobody hatched up this plan. Uh, it is it one of the things that I think is deeply concerning to me is the possibility that it was always like it was always going to be like this, mm. and that there. I think actually, and it's important to recognize that what is is, and. We cannot waste our time imagining that it went a different way. We have to confront what exists today yeah. and understand that we will not solve it in our lifetimes, but we have a requirement to work to push against it. Right. We all have to do our part and know that that is going to be a drop in the bucket. Right. And we have to be okay with the fact. Like, yeah. it's, I'm, like I'm not going to make a big difference, you know, and I still have to do this thing. I'm going to make a difference to the people in my circle, I hope, in my sphere. Exactly. Um, okay, time is flying. Let me reintroduce us, and I'm going to open up the call, uh, the phones. This is Elizabeth Archer. We are having a very special Fifth Thursday Farm and Garden Show. No farming, no gardening, talking about anti-fat bias. My guest is Brian Guffey. Brian is an internationally recognized educator and activist in the areas of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, and body size. If you have a question for Brian, not for me, because you can get me anytime. If you have a question for Brian, 707-895-2448. Okay, while we're waiting for 
calls if they come. The last part of your comment on my post, um, which if you're just tuning in, I wrote this post on Facebook that you can find if you search Elizabeth Archer and The Whale. It's public about this movie, The Whale, coming out and how it's going to harm the fat community. I found Brian because Brian wrote about my post and that is why we're here. So the third part, you say... This is particularly galling to me. Fat people do not have overall better health outcomes than thin people. We have worse outcomes, primarily because of anti-fatness. And so we can't actually quantify if fat people would have better outcomes because of the oppression in the system. And there's a little bit more, but um, yeah, you're absolutely right. What's, and I had yeah. kind of tried to make that point, but again, it was I was trying to keep the post short. Um, but that anti-fat bias is the primary driver of poor health outcomes. Um, but as you said, we don't necessarily like we can't eliminate the reality from what we want to study, you know. So it's like we know fat people have worse health outcomes, and it's not hard to conjecture that it's because we are um, not treated well in the in the medical field. Yeah, and I think uh, the reason that this really at the time uh, got my, I I don't know, got my goat, oh, farms, goats. Farms! Uh, (laughs) Is that I, there is such a movement today of anti-science and people who have a difficulty, well, also the idea, even more important, and it's difficult to even talk about these days, but that science is the arbiter of how people are valued when we know that science used to think that black people were less intelligent because they measured our heads. Right. Um, <laughs> science used to think the earth was flat. Right, exactly. And so like any study at any point at any given time is nothing but a picture of what we understand at that moment and it shouldn't take us away from the thing that we just talked about which is that at the end of the day everybody deserves to live a happy um fulfilled um and i will use the word word healthy but in this way which is that you deserve to feel that your life is valuable and that you are cared for and that you can do the things that you wish to be able to do as much as you can um, and that like that you are that that society values you and that's important um, when I say that because one of the things we haven't talked a lot about is just the incredible ableism in uh, the whale in the way that they portray what fat like a very fat person can or can't do the idea that a 600 pound person like the casting notice apparently like in the play was just like Ah, so-and-so, 600 pounds. Well, we know that 600 pounds looks different. Right. Fat Um, suits do not accurately (laughs) capture the body. No, right. And I don't know, a seven-foot person that's 600 pounds and a five-foot person that's 600 pounds are going to experience different things. And everybody's body, like, you could be 600 pounds and be able to move just fine. You know, and so it's important to me just that, like, as we said, it doesn't matter. It does not matter whether you have better health outcomes or worse health outcomes. Um, I'm trying to skip that step of needing to argue that like fat people can be fit because the problem is the fit part. Right, and it's none of your business. Who cares? What do you care? <laughs> right. Yeah, you, as you say in the end of your post, what type of health outcomes we have shouldn't matter because we deserve to be valued as fat humans regardless of health or anything else. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, just straight up, like every fat people deserve, and fat black people in particular deserve to be valued as full, equal members of society. And we shouldn't we shouldn't prejudge what their what their abilities or opportunities or anything else about them are. Right. And, yeah. you know, just as you said, a 600 person pound person can move, you know, perfectly well. There are plenty of very unhealthy thin people. And also, like, that is their business. It is none of my business. Yeah. Uh, but don't come for us. Yeah, absolutely. Just, like, live and let live. Definitely. Your casting call comment reminded me of this debate I had with a person who is was in the process of casting her play. She was going to direct the whale. Oh. And I said, you know, why don't you cast a thin person? Thin people have compulsive eating. Thin people can die from heart disease. Thin people can be queer and ostracized from their children. Um, why don't you cast a... And she was thin. I said, why don't you cast a thin person? Why is the, the fatness important to this play? And she just disengaged at that point. Yeah, I mean, right. Why did the play... Right, like, yeah, what does the fatness have anything to do except that it became a proxy by which the author of the play could explore things right. that he wanted to. Um, you know, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about intersectionality. We've talked about the privilege that you may have. And uh, I had a chance to read through some of your the comments that people had made. And it was interesting that a lot of the negative comments focused on how your feelings were hurt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Which surprised me because I didn't think your post was very emotional at all. Um, and, you know, I think the reason that that happens is because uh, tone policing is an excellent way to devalue. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. I hadn't thought of it in that way. I was like, why are these people calling me emotional? Right. Because it means that they could not take you seriously as if, yep, yep. You, as if emotion doesn't belong in harmful situations in the first place and let's let's be clear part of the reason they called you emotional is because you're a woman sure like regardless of what you said they're like oh there's a woman being emotional again as if you don't as if you do not have the right to speak from your experience and own your own understanding and experience and i mean even if it had been emotional what would have been the problem in that like, right. Why is that a, an, a negating factor against anything else I was saying? Because, well, I mean, it, it isn't except for the fact that we have been taught, society says that rationality is uh, the best value one can have in engaging with, with issues. Yeah. That we, are, that we make better decisions when we are rational. But the truth of the matter is we have made rational decisions uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll do an, we'll do another hot take. Um, I don't know which one I want to do. Dropping um, like oh here's one. Changing the way that we measure COVID cases. Okay. Because oh we need to get the economy back in order. That's a rational decision that continues to marginalize the most marginalized, like um, immunocompromised and immunosuppressed people and disabled people. It's basically saying you don't deserve to be out in society. So, again, eugenics, we've decided those people aren't important anymore. Yeah. So we can make rational decisions that kill people, that hurt people. And to me, that, doesn't, that means rationality is not valuable. 
Mm. Partic- like particularly valuable on its own in any way. Or certainly not the highest, most important element right. in deciding Absolutely. what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Who wants to be rational? That's it's like <laughs> who wants to be rational when it kills people? Like that's right. the question. Right? Well, and when, when you use people. it to justify things yeah. that otherwise you would have a hard time justifying. Absolutely. When you say, Oh, we have to put aside the people. We have to not think about the 500 people a day still dying from COVID-19. Right. And it's not in the news at all. Nope. They've, taken, they've just taken it out. They said, we're going to move on. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, a very, we're not very good at taking care of each other. And, yeah. And, and the reality is, is that we still have to figure out how, like, I still have to figure out now as an immunosuppressed person, how to move in the world mm. because I cannot stay in my house forever for my own mental health. Right. And because I deserve, right, we're we talking about to live a full life. But now I have to live a full life with more risk. Yeah, absolutely. And by yeah. taking all of the precautions yourself instead of that being a shared burden. Absolutely. Yeah. And people get really mad when they ask you to share the burden. You ask for a mask for an event, people freak out. They're like, why? Why should I have to mask? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's true. Um, I've really been grateful for all of the free covid tests that have been offered and they're not offered anymore that ended yep. you can't get yeah. free covid tests anymore yeah so hopefully we all have a stockpile yep check your insurance you may still be able to get them to your insurance that's the only main way oh yeah. good to know good to know yeah i think it's like six per month um they the the care the last round of funding included that in the bill so but i don't know how long it lasts so stock up while you can folks absolutely get that <laughs> bivalent booster i'm flying on saturday um and i will be wearing a mask yes i have not yet made my first flight but i think it's going to come soon I'm, uh, my partner, yeah yeah it's scary but exciting yeah absolutely i want to be able to see people again i yeah. miss humans and i'm going to test before i go absolutely so we, let's all do our part people well, I like, the, I like the tangent. I like where we went with this. Um, but that was the show. I think I waited too long to open the phone lines, but I'm so glad you and I had an opportunity to have this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time and your labor. Um, and to end on a high note, and I think this was a series of high notes, but to end with some joy. Can you tell me what is uh, lighting your fire these days? What you're excited about? Yes, I can. I think really the big thing is that my partner comes home from out of from being out of town for almost two weeks tomorrow <gasps> yay uh, and it's been the first time we've been apart since i moved in two years ago oh my gosh are and you so planning effort, a surprise um i he i did get his favorite type of pie nice nice and i'm making sure the house is clean which will be very make him very happy <laughs> absolutely i also like to come home to a clean house who doesn't <laughs> absolutely and i'm i'm headed to san diego next weekend so cool you know that's really exciting as well oh well my guest, Brian Guffey. If you've been interested by what we're talking about, you can find Brian on two of their podcasts, Unsolicited Fatty's Talk Back. Next week's episode is going to be about the whale. Um, when does that drop? That'll drop on Sunday, uh, whatever that date is. Sun- Not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday. Okay, so you're going to make us wait a little bit for it. Um, yeah. And technically queer. So go find Brian. Brian and their cohort are doing really cool work in this space. And I just want to thank you for your time and your education today and talking to uh, 
clueless white lady who's doing the best I can. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can always find me anywhere if you just go to at Black Queer Iro. That's I-R-O-H, like Avatar the Last Airbender, Uncle Iro. Okay. Um, and that's me on most of my social media handles. Then you can find my stuff from there. Cool. Well, this has been the Farm and Garden Show without farming or gardening. I've been your host, Elizabeth Archer. I will not be back in two weeks because I'll be on a trip, but I think we're going to air a rerun. Um, and I will be back in, I guess, four weeks from today with another farm and garden related topic. Thank you, Brian. Take care, everybody. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.